we made it this is episode 10 of corner office breakdowns it is our season finale i am just grateful and happy to be here and thank you so much for joining me on this crazy roller coaster uh, over the last 10 episodes today we are speaking to amber ray and I could not imagine somebody better than Amber to conclude the season with. Because if I'm honest, the entire journey of Corner Office Breakdowns in all of its forms started with Amber. Amber and I met in 2019, right as I was in the midst of an immense, immense career shift. Um, or actually it was more like a job shift, not a career shift, but it was a shift nonetheless. And at the time it felt immense and her and I gave a little talk together on her book, choose wonder over worry, which is an international bestseller has been translated into many languages. Um, and is just the first of her multiple books. But her and I gave a talk and through that she learned about this concept that was in my brain called instinctual leadership and how so much of the way we think about leadership comes from outside of ourselves and what would it look like if we reoriented leadership and what leadership meant to more being navigated by our own internal compass. And Amber has encouraged me. She has seen the potential in me. She has helped really kind of nourish and hone that potential for me. And now she has actually made that part of her career. Alongside being an author, Amber is a writing mentor and a story doula. And she believes in the healing power of the written word. And just to give you a sense of how she thinks and how she speaks about this work, I'm going to read a little excerpt from her website. It begins, stories are medicine. There is a common fear associated with sharing our truth, and it's a fear I know well and continue to confront each time I bring a new creative endeavor to life. It sounds something like this. If I put my truth out there, people may judge, shame, or push me away. I may lose connection, love, acceptance, and belonging. In my, again, these are Amber's words, 15 plus years of writing and publishing, the truth about my life, what I've come to discover is that the opposite is true. True belonging, full acceptance, and wholehearted connection comes through allowing yourself to be seen, heard, and known. In doing so, we allow others to see themselves in our stories and say, I feel this way too. Our most honest, vulnerable writing is not only a healing salve for others, but perhaps even more importantly, the process of getting those words on the page is often the medicine we need to. And she has helped many, many people uh, achieve these goals, really tap into themselves, figure out their stories, and the cherry on top helped more than a dozen of them get six-figure book deals. So if there is a creative calling that has been nagging at your soul, 
Amber is the person for you. And this conversation as well is especially for you. Amber, holy shit. In terms of where we were when we met and what we were talking about and what we were doing and how far and how differently our lives have evolved um, in some of the most beautiful, beautiful ways. Um, I feel like when we were first meeting, I had, I was, how do I want to say this? I was like used to a much easier life than mm-hmm. I am now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd had some work trauma with like sexual harassment and some gender stuff. You know, I'd had my childhood, which, you know, we all have our childhood stories. But then the last five years have been life shaking. Yeah. Um, like truly tectonic shifts for both of us. Yeah. Um, and for me, at least you have been like, what did I, how did I refer to you? I don't know. You're, you've been like a guardian angel figure. For- <laughs> that sounds so cheesy. Um, I'll take and, it. What a, and what a weird thing to say <laughs> to like your friend, but I don't know. You have shown me myself Mm. and um, my work in this world in a way I could never see Mm. and in a way no one would have ever have told me prior Mm. to meeting you. Like you identified that everything I'm talking about to this day, that there was something in there that I had to explore. Mm. Um, When I met you, I was still writing fiction Right. That's right. Yeah. And it was through um, the workshop you did way back when called Creative Alchemy that like this entire stream of thinking came back to the surface of of my life and where the book was written and, Mm -hmm. you know, the connections were made and it was transformative. Mm -hmm. And that is what I believe is your gift Mm. is you are able to identify um, the undercurrent or the inner drive of somebody's ambition and dreams Mm. and help them figure out how to bring that out into the world. And that is what you have done for me. Well, thank you. Um, I like truly mean it. And so having you here is such a full circle moment for me. Mm. Um, and, and more ways than one, which I won't even get into because you haven't said a word yet and I've just been chatting away. <laughs> um, but yes, Amber Ray is here with us. She is again, you know, one of the most transformative powers in my life to this point. And, when I first emailed her, what I wanted to talk about was like turning your work into your life's work. 
Mm-hmm. And that actually came from your words exactly. Oh. Yeah. Because when I was having like a really hard time writing, I texted you and I was like, hey, I need a pep talk. Like I'm having a really hard time writing. And you sent me um, a Jerry Seinfeld quote. And yeah. you said, remember this. <laughs> yes. And you said, just remember that like your life is your work. Like as you are living, you are working because you are, you know, in internalizing certain experiences and meeting people and thinking about things that are going to inform who you become and what you do, which is your work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that was such an aha moment for me. And I've, again, kept that like at the front of my brain for the last few years. And I thought that could be something really interesting for everyone to think about as we figure out how to reconcile like humanity and emotion in the workplace. Yeah. Beautiful. Let's go there. Let's go there. Let's so go there. I feel like the only logical place to start is with where you started and you can, you can interpret that however you want. You can talk about 11 year old Amber, or you could talk about, um, the, the Amber who lived in Dumbo. <laughs> yeah. Where I just, where I started, that's where you want me to start. I guess so. Where did, where do you believe your life's work started? Hmm. That's a great question. It's interesting because I'm writing right now my my fourth book um mm-hmm. more about love and it is having me dig into my interior experience and my childhood and my my everything in a way that I've I've never quite explored before and I've always mm-hmm. thought of myself as someone who sort of traverses the inner landscape that loves that interior mm-hmm. experience and loves the like I'm a Scorpio mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of stuff, but I like, I love the, the like transformative. I'm going to go into the fire. I'm going to, I like, I like yeah. get life from it. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, my life's work was a combination of, I, it really did start as a kid for me. And that was a combination of both. I'd say the trauma of my dad abandoning my mom and I, mm-hmm. and then soon after dying in a car accident. Mm-hmm. combined with my like single mama hustler entrepreneur 22 years old mm-hmm. like trying to figure it out like you know she I was not part of the plan yeah but she is like gonna figure out a life for us um kind of like energy um combined with like the kind of synchronistic childhood experiences. I feel like the, those are like the three mm. things that formed me. Um, and I say like synchronistic childhood experiences because I grew up next to uh, computer Bob mm-hmm. and his daughter babysat me and computer Bob, this was like, you know, I was born in 85. So mm-hmm. like this was, I was four years old mm-hmm. and it's, you know, the era of, he was like building computers and I was fascinated. And so, you know, at four, I got my first computer and we were like, I was like, wow, it was like MS dot. It was like, it was early, early internet, uh-huh. not like led and paved way. So it was like, and I, you know, that I bring up the dad abandonment stuff because I think that was like 
the unconscious driver like that that impacted me in ways I didn't know until my early 20s oh yeah Mm -hmm. um but like mama who's starting a company and like flooring and she ended up in like real estate development and like became this powerhouse entrepreneurial woman Mm -hmm. um but and who was always like go baby go follow your curiosities Mm -hmm. what brings you alive like what are you interested in she was so non-traditional yeah Um, she was very much like go to school and like do the thing, but also was like, what is, you know, what speaks to you? And so yeah. I was, it was very much encouraged to follow my curiosity. And for a long time, that was like computers and the, the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I bring that up because, you know, it started with like me making invoices for her when I was like five for her company to then like mm-hmm. building an online magazine when I was 11, going into AOL chat rooms, recruiting subscribers. And I created, wow. I was like creating something called teen zine where every Sunday I would spend hours putting together the publication. And I was getting my cousins to write my like six, my 16 year old cousin who was so cool. <laughs> the advice <laughs> columnist. Like I was like, I'm the editor in chief of a magazine. Um, and so, you know, when you wow. ask me, where does it start? My le- like, I'm not that different from mm. who I was as a kid following those curiosities. Yeah. And there was like the big gap in the middle of like who I then thought I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. There was the, like, it started with like my mom being, who are you called to be? And then I feel like the education system and like me probably wanting belonging and approval from peers combined with like first boyfriends, you know, that whole thing. Um, I want to like be a good girl and I want to do well in school and I want to be successful, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. That all led to me kind of like who, yeah, I kind of separated from who I was meant to be and started to pursue who I thought I was supposed to be. And then like, you know, that was the whole path. I still went down the path of tech and I worked with yeah. Apple college and then mm-hmm. moved to Silicon Valley and then was like, this is not aligned with my values. Yeah. Um, and then kind of had a, another crossroads moment of, okay, I did everything that I thought I was supposed to do kind of from like 13 to 23. Yeah. Um, who am I really? And then that, that led to this big moment to leave tech, quit my job, sell all of my belongings and mm-hmm. move to city to follow a calling again, kind of like yeah. little Amber. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wrote about it and that piece took off. Mm. And I think I like, this was, I don't know, I can't remember when Tim Ferriss four hour work week came out, but this yeah. was like, you know, people weren't really following their passions and like doing all of that yet. But I, I think I had a nerve of people in this place of like, is this all that there is? Yes. yes. Looking they're, you know, looking to elders in the workplace and saying like, okay, I know that they've been doing this for 30 years, 40 years, like, but they're like caved over at a desk eating their lunch. So unfulfilled. Like, I don't want to, I don't want it to be like that for me. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and so I think I, you know, I was at that a little earlier. I don't want Mm -hmm. this to be like this for me, wrote about it again, hit the nerve. And I think that was the moment for me that I, and I didn't even know where I was going with any of this when I opened my mouth, by the yeah. way, I'm not what I'm talking about, here we go. Um, but to, to land the plane, I think that was the moment for me where I realized, oh, my life can be my life's work. 
Mm. I can write about the journey. I can take bold leaps. I can experiment in my career and I can share that journey and process. And that's actually going to be a mirror for other people to see themselves more clearly and also Mm -hmm. to see what could be possible for them. Yeah. And so I've had, you know, that was now 15 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. I've had a wide range of explorations and experiments and um, journeys since mm-hmm. all of which I've written about. That's been the most consistent thing. I've always been capturing the journey as a, you know, I started, I forgot the other piece. I started journaling and writing as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always been kind of a memoirist at heart. Um, but I think that was, that was the moment that I realized like it could be different than what I expected. And what if I drew upon my natural st- strength writing, mm-hmm. um, what could be, and it just yeah. started questions, honestly, questions became quests. Mm. Well, even before we go into questions and quests, which I love, and I have heard you say before, and it's another thing I've latched on to, um, I want to just pause and talk about knowledge. Okay. So I, I have this I don't know. I guess like it's a fucking strategic framework. Let's be honest. I'm a strategist. It's something like that, right? But yeah, how <laughs> how we've over prioritized um the sort of knowledge we inherit from others. Yeah. Over the inherent knowledge that lives on the inside. Yes. And I I feel exactly the same way in that I have now like I've returned to myself like now I'm not different from you know 11 year old Ambika yeah but for the last 20 years 20 plus years like I have been very different mm-hmm. and so I just want to pause and have a little like sidebar on this idea of like why culturally there is so much credit given to external um, inherited knowledge versus sort of that internal knowing that that you talk about so much? Yeah, I mean, we learn as kids that the authority is outside of us. Mm -hmm. First, it's our parents, then it's our teachers, then it's our coaches, then it's our bosses, then it's we learn that expertise, knowledge, the authority, Mm -hmm. what is the right thing, how to be good, how to, you know, be successful is found in the knowledge that we found outside we find outside of ourselves mm-hmm. um rather than the inherent wisdom that lives within us that is yeah. just so such you know so such a part of our culture um and you know it's it, i don't think there's anything wrong with having elders and having mentorship and of having, course you know the knowledge there is knowledge that lives outside of us it's not either or it's both but mm-hmm. when we you know become so attached to other people's perspectives that this this piece in untamed by glennon doyle is coming to me right now yes tell me he like she's you know googling what i think she's googling like what do i do if my husband's having an affair on me or something or like what am i or how do i stay i can't remember what she yeah like do i stay in a marriage when i'm unhappy and my husband whatever (laughs) it is and i thought that was such a great moment of like she's googling it you know, yeah, we've been so taught to like Google answers to our most important questions. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, what's my purpose? I feel like is, has so many search (laughs) results. Yes. Oh (laughs) my gosh. Yes. Like Google might know more than I do. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That is such a perfectly clear 
illustration of this point. Yes. Yes. Look to Google before we'll like pull out pen and paper and at the top of the page, right? What's my purpose? Because that blank canvas, which is the point, the authorities have, you know, seemingly paved the path, you know, there's less, there's less uncertainty. There's less unknown. It's not so scary. It's easier for someone to tell us, do this, do it this way, go here. This is the, you know, here's the instruction manual. But Mm -hmm. when you have a blank sheet of paper in front of you and at the top of it, what's my purpose? Or when you have a, you know, an unpaved path in front of you for, to pursue your life's work, that's terrifying because it's uncertain, unknown. And then it triggers all the parts of our brain that are like danger. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And, and a thing that came up as I was like looking back at our notes um, from 2021, 20, yeah, it was in 2021, right? Creative Alchemy. Yes. Yes. Um, one of the things that I kind of extracted from that was this, just the simple idea of be 51% more curious than afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Because to me, writing my what is my purpose on the top of a page is terrifying. Yeah. I'm at a point where like the even the question, what do you want, is scary to me. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I don't know how to answer it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I I have been reaching outward a lot. I've been reaching for books. I've been reaching for other podcasts. I have been doing all the things that a researcher does, honestly. And this exercise for me, you know, these sorts of conversations is as much about doing the internal work that I feel like is horrifyingly missing from the leadership realm and the corporate realm. And integrating that with the external world in a way where the internal truth can coexist in the external world and it can fucking work. Cause I'm not in a place where I can be like, okay, peace out job. Like I'm done having a corporate job because I have two kids. I need security. Like I'm, I'm terrified of what would happen if I did that. Yeah. And so I'm trying to say like, maybe, maybe like, together we can all figure out a way to be ourselves and live our lives and live like our path, not necessarily the pre paved path. Yeah. And still like work in systems versus having to build outside of them. Totally. Yeah. You're, it's more of an entrepreneurial path. You're like Mm -hmm. existing system saying, Hey, I want to shake this up a little bit and show that there's a better way. Yes. It's great. Where are people? People are in the workplace. So where does often happen? Like that can create such a ripple effect. Yeah, exactly. And Um, one thing I say about, you know, you being the researcher, I don't, I, you know, I think it's sometimes I don't want it to be either or where it's like, you can only a blank sheet of paper and ask yourself, what do I want? Or what's my purpose? Because oftentimes the way that we like epiphany and aha can come through, if your intention is, I am looking for clarity within, not I'm looking for someone to tell me what to do, but I'm looking to get to my own place of clarity. Reading, um, you know, like reading a book can spark something that you know inside yourself. 
Yes. And so it's like also being of research, hearing, overhearing a conversation in a cafe, reading a book, listening to a podcast, again, can awaken that inner knowing. And you can be like that, that is what is aligned with my knowing and intuition. Oh so my goodness. Sorry, Amber, complete your thought. No, I was just saying, so it's both. There is a, um, a literary theorist named Roland Barthes who wrote this piece called The Death of the Author. Mm. And the death of the author, to like radically summarize, is um, basically states that the intention of the author or the author's intended meaning actually doesn't matter because it's more about what the reader takes away. And I couldn't agree more because, you know, you're the same. We read a lot. We think a lot. We absorb a lot from the outside, but we also, you more than me, but know how to sit with ourselves on the inside. And you're right. It is that that joining of forces. And it is that like you read something, maybe the author had no idea what they were saying. Maybe nobody else has picked up on that one specific line in the way you do, but like yeah. something clicks in you and you're like, Oh shit. Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's even, you know, as a writer, if I'm, if I'm stuck writing, there's only so much time that I can spend with a you know, a blank page writing, writing, writing my story. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not writing, I'm also usually not reading. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's mm-hmm. as important that while I'm writing, I'm reading because mm-hmm. reading other people's like, whether it's like the way they construct a sentence or a theme that they explore in their writing. And this can, I can be reading like a, you know, like a great steamy rom-com mm-hmm. to like, you know, Pulitzer prize winning, you know, mm-hmm. But it's like a wide range of reading because I never know what might spark something, what might awaken an epiphany or something that's like just ready to burst through. Yeah. And how do you reconcile that knowledge then with your knowledge to ultimately, now we're bringing in the third part of it, do something? Because I think what also happens for a lot of us is, you know, we read and we consume and, you know, people are going to therapy more. People are leaning into alternative ways of connecting with themselves anecdotally more than ever. But we're still not fully seeing that translate into something, right? And this is where the work part of the equation starts to come into play. So- how do we know which story we should be telling about our lives or which is what is our life's work from everything we do? And then ultimately, you know, it sounds like you kind of take a two-pronged approach of like the discovery process and the experimentation process. Yeah. And so again, how do we start to discover and then experiment in order to create that action? Yeah. Um, a few thoughts come up yet. Yeah, you know, experimentation is so, is so the path for me. And this is kind of the questions as quest things we were talking about, yeah. which are like, what are the questions that are very alive in me? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what is a way that I can experiment around that? Whether that's a question like, how do I build a business without burning out? 
-hmm. or whether it's like, how do I, you know, a big life experience I went through is that I left a decade long relationship, a kind of a a sexless marriage, Mm -hmm. um, fell in love with someone else and went into that relationship feeling so disconnected from that essential sexual part of me. Mm -hmm. And so like, how do I find my confidence in the bedroom became Mm. a big question or like noticing that I was mentioning earlier, like those old wounds of of abandonment. I literally, I was through a journal before this call Mm -hmm. and two years ago. And what fell out of the journal is this note card that says, how do I heal my intense fear of abandonment? Oh my gosh. And I like saw it and I was like, super light, you know? <laughs> oh my God. Also two years ago, that feels like a, such an interesting time that you were going through then. Yeah. And so it like, that was a question that became a quest for me. It's like, whatever is alive and present in my life that I'm curious about potentially wrestling with, those are the sort of things that form these different experiments. Mm -hmm. Um, How I experiment is a, is a range of like, I might explore that topic in therapy. Mm -hmm. I might, if it's, you know, I think if it's more of the abandonment or finding confidence in, you know, in a certain way that might be have the therapeutic exploration, Mm -hmm. but then there's also the, like, you got to try it on. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I work with a bunch of people, a bunch of writers and I've I've been leading this writing workshop and there's, you know, people who are like, I don't know what my voice is and the Mm -hmm. way I tell my story. And I'm like, then try on five different voices. Yeah. Like, and I even guide them through an exercise where I have them like write from the perspective of like, so they like made a list of things found in nature and then they wrote from the perspective of Mm. that nature. So like someone wrote like as if they were, they wrote the story about their father dying, but they wrote as if they were the grave. Wow. Or they like, um, like I wrote a story about like where I was the cat witnessing, um, a fight with my ex And, you know, it's like when you can, you can try on different perspectives and voices in order to like find your true voice Mm -hmm. or like, you know, in terms of let's say business, um, I want to, how do I build a business without burning out? Mm. Um, you know, there might be different strategies that I try on and experiment with. Okay. I'll lead this writing workshop for 12 weeks. I'll Mm -hmm. do one-off uh, two-hour writing workshop and I'll collaborate with these people. I'll, you know, I'll work one-on-one. I'm always experimenting because also every season of my life like calls for something different. Mm-hmm. And I used to really shame myself and put a lot of pressure on like changing my mind mm-hmm. or like evolving the way that I wanted to do things. Mm-hmm. But ultimately every season requires something different. I was just yeah. in this two-day planning workshop with my business mentor and like, you know, she went through a season where, um, you know, there are people in the group, like someone had just had a baby. And so like, yeah. of course they're going to like the, the priority for their life is like, I just had a baby. So like what I'm working on is going to look different, or I'm launching a book that is like the priority, your season of life is going to look different, or this transition is happening at work. Um, so it's, again, it's like getting clear on the question, um, thinking about what are the sort of experiments and it doesn't have to be super formal, but like, what's exciting to try on around this. Mm-hmm. And then that leads into the, into the action. Mm-hmm. When you say, when you said, um, try it on, it took me back to like a piece of advice I was given early in my career when I was trying to decide between staying at a job that. I loved what was deeply problematic 
or going to a new job, which seemed really exciting, right? Like it, it did, it, it awoke something in me. Um, and how my coach at the time, actually Stephanie Redliner, I think said this, um, who I absolutely adore. She said, navigate Saturday as the person who took that new job and you're one year in, like just behave as if you are that person dress as if you are that person and have thoughts as if you were that person. And then on Sunday, imagine the person you are at this very second staying in this job and be that person on Sunday. It was mind boggling. Yeah. And that idea of like embodied decision-making and allowing yourself to see how you feel like once you have settled on something, even if you haven't settled on it is so interesting. And even like, you know, some people say you ask yourself a yes or no question and you assign, you know, okay, yes is on the right. No is on the left. And you just subtly feel how your body moves. Yeah. There is so much power in that stuff that I, I feel like we never talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes like, I think it's also sometimes we might know, but we might not be ready to act. And I want to like give permission that that's okay too. Sometimes we know and it's like, all right, I need to reorient my life around this knowing and it happens very quickly. And sometimes we know something or we like move into an ever deepening sense of knowing, but it's much slower and takes time. And so it might not look like we're acting, but we're actually cultivating a deep sense of self-awareness to eventually one day act. Mm -hmm. And so there's no, you know, there's almost like no one right way. It's more of Mm -hmm. like, again, what is, and I love that exercise because I think trying that on of like Saturday versus Mm -hmm. Sunday, um, who do I want to step into? Who do I want to embody? Who do I want to be? Yeah. So powerful. And it goes back to your slow cooker thing, right? Like sometimes, sometimes a pressure cooker is an okay tool to just like make shit happen. But I very much feel that there have been, you know, phases. I don't recording when we talked about that. Oh, okay. Will you say it again? Yeah. And this is actually comes from my business mentor, Jada Selner. She says, don't be a, or, you know, you can be a slow cooker or a pressure cooker and a slow cooker takes their time. They move more slowly. There's no rush and a pressure cooker is like, all right, let's get it done in an hour. Yes. Um, and so just, that's something that's as, as a, I am notoriously much more of a pressure cooker. I have mm-hmm. the idea I want to execute tomorrow. Yes. Um, but then I burn myself out and I end up mm-hmm. exhausted and it ends up taking like longer to clean up the the exhausted mess and learning mm-hmm. to be a slow cooker allows me to really feel, move and enjoy the process because, and I was writing about this because I've always been like, enjoy the process, like enjoy the writing process, enjoy mm-hmm. the journey of the book, enjoy where you're at in the season. And what I realized is that it's not necessarily me enjoying that thing that I'm doing. Of course it is, but it's also making sure that I'm enjoying my life while I'm doing that thing. Yes. And like, that seemed so obvious, but I was like, oh my, it's, I enjoy the, I'm enjoying the book writing when I'm enjoying my life. When I'm like, wow, you know, when I'm like, time to see friends when I'm like, and and this is again, something else my Jada, my business mentor has me do Mm -hmm. because you create like a self-care menu. Mm-hmm. 
So it's not rigid every day I meditate and then I journal and then I yeah. do these become like another thing of obligation and should mm-hmm. meditate journaling important things, of course. Um, but like what's on your self-care menu so that you can like pick and choose in a more intuitive way to fill up and nourish your life. Mm. And so I've, I've, you know, I've been leading this writing workshop and for like the first eight weeks of it, I was only teaching the writing workshop and writing my book. Mm-hmm. And by mm. eight, I was like, I hate my book and yeah. I don't know what to teach this again yeah and ultimate and then I went on a mini trip to New York Mm -hmm. um, and I one day of being in New York felt alive and revitalized Mm -hmm. and I loved my book and I was crying talking about people in the on the page community (laughs) and like and it was such a reminder of like oh no I need to enjoy my life to enjoy the process yes because your life is your work (laughs) right (laughs) totally right like full circle I love it okay I mean we already came full circle I wonder which circle is next (laughs) one circle has been completed um no but that that is so true you know the the moment um I even thought to turn my book idea which had had honestly become for me such a source of like I don't know. I had assigned a feeling of sadness and failure and grind to the book because I was writing about very hard things. Yeah. Um, I wasn't getting the traction I thought I would and not out of, not from even a place of like overconfidence or ego. I was just like, I really think this is important work. Yeah. Um, And I was burning myself out, like trying to get it done. This version, this version, this version, like while I was pregnant, while I was postpartum, like trying to pitch op-eds and editorial things. And, and then once I was like, I'm just going to let that sit for a while. Like I need a break. And I started being, it's hard to admit this, but like I, I, retuned in with my family and my son and being a a brand new mom of two and you know everything had felt so hard that I needed to let something go momentarily yeah in order to fill that space with something that didn't feel hard yeah yeah and then literally like the newsletter came into my brain I created a strange logo in Canva and asked a few of my designer friends like does this look okay? Um, and then put it out in the world and didn't think about it too much. And, you know, that turned into this. And so that struggle and that, you know, hustle mentality that your business coach is trying to kind of untether you from and that work hard, work hard, don't change course, don't change course, because then you need to start at the beginning. Like so much of that is, like very deeply embedded in us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I want to build on what you're saying about the struggle, because I think sometimes solutions come from struggle. Mm-hmm. And I think we sometimes forget this. Mm-hmm. And I notice, and I see this with my husband, he's a, he's an amazing artist and he reaches these points in the project where he's like hit a, he's hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And then like four days later, he's had a breakthrough. Yeah. And it's beautiful to like witness wall breakthrough, wall breakthrough, wall mm-hmm. breakthrough, like 
if you don't hit a wall, you have nothing to break. Mm. Um, and I noticed that too, in my own creative journey, life, work, everything, the struggle. And I think it's so important to rest and digest, to let mm-hmm. things simmer, to take a breather, to take a step back, like, you know, allow my, I've, I've quit this writing project, this book I'm writing, mm-hmm. you know, times. Um, it's, and it's, it's just that like, but we sometimes have to like be in that struggle for a little bit so that we can see a new path that we weren't able to see. Mm-hmm. And the struggle ultimately will lead to a solution. But sometimes we like get to the struggle and we're like, this is bad. This is wrong. I need to like cancel everything instead of like, oh, I just need to give this a breather. I need to give this a little bit of space mm-hmm. and know that clarity is coming. Oh, because when you were saying that just now, I, my brain immediately went to, but so many people get stuck in the struggle. Like I was very stuck in the struggle to the point where, and I also had postpartum depression, which definitely <laughs> added to the mix here. But um, I allowed myself to struggle to such an extent that I didn't see a way out of the struggle. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard to be in that dark of a place and have hope slash trust that something would come. And so if somebody is like really deep in it and, you know, some people call this like the dark night of the soul or like, you know, the storm before the dawn as everyone or the night before the dawn or whatever the phrase is. Um, but is there something that you use a tool or a tip or just like a mindset or a ritual that pushes you through more quickly? Because I think a lot of us tend to feel lost in that struggle. And yeah, you know, I'm thinking of a, when I had left my marriage, I was like wrestling with the deep shame of leaving. I'm now in like love with a new person. It's like all this old stuff that unprocessed trauma was coming up with him. I like felt like I was like unpacking my baggage in our living room. It was Mm. like, it was like a very tender, could not see. I felt shamed by like certain friends. You know, it was it was just like a it was a hard moment. What really helped me is instead of trying to move through mm-hmm. and get to the other side of the struggle, I said, "Hello, struggle." Mm-hmm. You know, like let me hold your hand. Mm-hmm. This is where we are right now. Let me sit with you a little longer, welcome you here, and most importantly, not label you as bad or wrong or that like this shouldn't be happening. Because I think Mm -hmm. it's the resistance of the struggle that intensifies Mm -hmm. the struggle, or at least in my experience. But I felt like when I surrendered to the struggle, it was like I was able to have a healthy distance from it. And it was just like, oh, this is the struggle moment of my Mm -hmm. journey. Mm -hmm. And like... there's going to be another moment, but this is just like where I'm at. That healthy distance helped me. Mm -hmm. um, And kind of like, I literally would like lie in bed and imagine that I was holding struggles hand Mm -hmm. and like that we were in this moment together. It's not forever. And just like, I'm going to welcome and embrace it. Yeah. And that's, an um, emotional struggle place. Not that struggle is not always emotional. And that's exactly where I was. Um, And so you hit the nail on the head. 
when it comes to work struggle and pouring everything you've got and working yourself to the bone, Mm -hmm. but you know, you have to keep going. Yeah. That's, that's another part of struggle that I think is important to talk about in the same breath as the more emotional side, which is, do you keep going? Yeah. Do you pause and come back? Do do you have to embody the decision of letting it go and to realize how much you need it? Or, you know, that's, that's another question I have, I guess, is like, how do you navigate the more productive, if you will, side of it? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think there's a one right answer. And I can just think about this. I'll relate it to this struggle of writing this book that I'm working on right now. And it's, I find the emotional struggle much more challenging than the work struggle. Uh The work struggle, I'm like, okay, it's just, you know, it feels like that, that distance is already there. But like my way of dealing with the struggle, I first quit the project, decided Mm -hmm. I wasn't anymore. Mm-hmm. And like started opening up the possibility. And this was like last September, opened up the possibility of other projects, other things. I just was like, yes, space. I like went through like two weeks of ecstatic bliss. Yeah. Quit the thing that was <laughs> causing me pain. <laughs> and right by week three, I was like, I miss writing. Oh. Um, and then like little things, I felt like people would like mention or ask me a question, like things started happening where it was like, it started sparking ideas mm-hmm. in places where I was stuck. Um, I like had an important, you know, like therapy session and session with my attachment theory mentor and yeah. like you know, things happened in life, maybe like a month, a month and a half. Like I, I, I stepped away from the book for about a month or a month and a half. And then I was like, and then I doubled down. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, no, this is very important to me. This is deeply meaningful. I want to finish this book. And then I got support. So -hmm. what helped me move through the struggle is I hired book coaches. Yeah. Like I need, I'm too close. Okay. So what's my problem here? I'm too close to the material. I'm still living and digesting some Mm -hmm. of the experiences that I'm writing about. Mm -hmm. And so naturally it's going to take a little bit more time because I'm living as I'm writing. And sometimes I need to live a little more before I can write about this scene. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was like, and I'm way too close to the material. I need a developmental editor. I need someone who's in the weeds of the writing with me that like, I didn't know if any, I thought I couldn't tell if anything was good. You know, I was like, this could all be absolutely terrible. Um, And so having support, the support that I needed helped me like see what was working, figure Mm -hmm. out a plan and begin to create momentum. Um, So I'd say, you know, for someone, I know I'm very, this is like a very specific perspective of a writer who's writing a book, Mm. um, but like, you know, take the prop, take it away. Like what happens when you take it away? Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, again, trying it on, take it away for a, a period of time. Do you realize that you have greater longing for it? Do you realize mm-hmm. it's really meaningful to you or does actually taking it away, create more spaciousness and freedom. And you realize this is not the right time or it's not the right time for this. Yes. Yes. Um, and then like, what's the support system that you need around you? I like, in the last year, support has been a massive theme for me because I was such a lone wolf, like go ahead and alone, figure it out myself. And having a now working with a business mentor, working with book coaches, working with like, yeah. you know, an assistant integrator in my business has been life-changing. Yeah. 
of like, oh, I can. And I like, I made a, a financial commitment that I didn't even have. Like, I like put it on my credit card. I was like, this yeah. is the investment I've ever made that I don't even have the cash flow for currently, but I like have plans to make the cash flow happen in two months. Yes. Like, and then that gave me, you know, the motivation that I needed to launch something. So it yeah. was like, it's, you know, and it's like, you don't, the, every season's going to require different things. You may not have all the pieces figured out, but like, I'd say, um, kind of stop. And then so if you decide you want to start again, um, get support. Yeah. The experience you're reflecting back on right now is Amber in this moment in 2023. Yes. Part of this conversation for me as well is how do we decondition ourselves from believing that only certain people deserve to have their story out in the world? Mm. And the reason I bring that up now is because you know, at this point, you have proven yourself as a writer, knock on wood, right? You are out there, you have your avid followers, like people like myself, like we sit, we sit here and we tell you how like incredibly transformative you've been to us. Um, but let's go back just for a second to your choose wonder over worry days. Mm-hmm. And when you were first establishing yourself as a writer and, you know, I'm sure like any other person on a semi-creative pursuit, you know, there were people who questioned you and people who potentially said like, who are you to write this book? Why do you think you should be here? And, you know, culturally we've almost like, quantified and qualified who is worth and worthy of telling a story. And so how did you work through the struggle or stay the course in that moment as well? Yeah. And I I literally had, I had a mentor tell me my story doesn't matter. I had, I, you know, I'd sent him early pages of my writing and, you know, I became, I shut down so intensely when he told me my story doesn't matter that only now can I see he was trying to say, like, when you're writing memoir, it's not about you. It's about your reader. He didn't say it that way. I now literally almost 15 years later can interpret what he was trying to say then, which is like, when you write, consider your audience. Yeah. Um, And, but like, I heard your story doesn't matter. Yes. I heard, who are you to write this book? I, mm-hmm. you know, there were a number of things where I really, you know, believed that maybe, yeah, who am I to write this? Who the hell do I think I am? Mm-hmm. But I ultimately realized that I was over-focusing on other people's opinions and under-focusing on my own. Mm-hmm. Only thing that mattered is that I wanted to write it. Yeah. You know, and it's like my curiosity was ever so slightly more than my fear. Yes. All those voices were there. And instead of thinking, oh, those voices mean that I shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. Those voices are a sign that this is the path that I'm not meant to take. Uh, I actually think those voices were signaling how Mm -hmm. this was so clearly a calling because mm-hmm. anything that, you know, Stephen Pressfield says, anything that's important to the evolution of your soul, you're going to have more resistance around. 
And really, so, I've yes. never heard that. The greater the resist, you're not, I don't feel resistance about like, I don't know, doing something I don't care about. I mean, the resistance is I don't really want to do that. But yeah. like, like, I think I'm trying to think of an example, like, there's so many like non-important things that come through that like, I don't feel resistance around because there's no, like, there are no stakes. It's not risky. Yes. When something's risky. When something is important, when something is going to grow you, mm-hmm. you will feel more resistance. And so I started to look at fear and resistance actually as a compass pointing like true North mm-hmm. of okay, of course I'm afraid here because, you know, Van Gogh says, if you, if a voice within you says you can't paint, then paint. And that voice will, you know, be gone. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Yeah. um, I often find, and sometimes when people are like, I'm struggling to find what it is that I want to do. And I'm like, what Mm -hmm. is the thing that you think you can't do? And oftentimes like that will lead to the calling is the thing that or putting off, resisting, hesitating, uh, not now, later, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. often paint a pathway to, to what's deeply moving and important. Yeah. I have been deep in the only certain people deserve to have their story told place mm-hmm. in my psyche. And again, yes, have, have been told things like that. Right. Um, we haven't fully gotten a chance to catch up about this, but, you know, just the other day I had put, um, I had an article out and, um, this woman came at me really hard in the comments. And it was an article about, you know, this meaning really meaningful to me work I had done a few years ago. And, you know, she just, she didn't want to hear it. She was like, get over yourself. Like you need to stop talking about this. You owe your, your children and clients and readers an apology because you're spewing lies. You have all the support in the world. I know you don't financially struggle as a BIPOC person and holy shit, man. Like I, I wanted to literally like dig myself into the ground and like not come out for a year. It was and it was an it was somehow as they always are like she knew exactly where to poke and prod and pick out my deepest insecurities and put them on display yeah and you know i'm still working through that and i think that's why i was telling amber earlier like i'm feeling a little shaky and not as confident <laughs> as usual coming into this conversation because you know i was just told that and yeah. have just been like going through the feelings that that brought up. But the one thing that has kept me going in this moment is, and I don't think this is very healthy, but it is, it's not about me. It's about the work. Yeah. Um, And, you know, a lot of people would be like, what do you mean? It's not about you. Like women have been saying that shit forever and blah, blah, blah. And yes received. That is true. But that is helping me get through this because we are, we are taught to be humble and keep our head down and, you know, not talk too much about ourselves and not ask for money and not ask for what we want and not ask for support. And then, you know, to do something like what you have done, Amber, and, 
you know, what I'm trying to do, like put this thinking out into the world. Sometimes if you lack the confidence, you do need to be like, look, fuck it. It's not about you. It's not about you. You are the deliverer of this content or, you know, insight or information. Um, but that's also really sad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's so hard. I, you know, welcome to the internet. Welcome to sharing your voice. Yeah. Not everyone's going to like it, you know, yeah. and I, mm-hmm. I had to learn that too. And it was deeply, it was painful and uncomfortable. And I remember feeling exactly what you were feeling and licking my wounds and yeah. no, you know, what do I do? And yeah, you know, ultimately what's helped me is, is one, you know, what's hysterical is historical. So if someone has Mm -hmm. such an outsized response to you being you, Mm -hmm. um, that's not about you. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, who knows what they're going through that had them target their anger and frustration and whatever cocktail of life experiences and current life stress to deliver that upon your plate person who's sharing their voice on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what's helped me is to have compassion in those moments Mm -hmm. because like, Ooh, it sounds like, like I hear that. I'm like, it sounds like she's suffering. Yeah. Um, and that has nothing to do with you. So like, it, you know, I heard you say like, it's not about me. It's about the work. It's also not about you. It's about what it's about her, yeah. you know? So you're not making something for everyone. Yeah. And that so, brings us back to death of the author. Yeah. Like it's not for everyone. Like, and, yeah. and I, I, I shared something about this recently, but I, I had a really intense sting of rejection when my book was coming out because um, my first book, Choose Wonder Over Worry, my publisher sent a bunch of free copies to people. And it was like the not finished version. I hadn't even made all the edits yet. And people had some really harsh reviews. And so I called up a friend and, um, you know, she's like, this is an insecure woman telling stories. You know, there were, it was like, it, it was, oh my gosh. Was um, and my, my friend said, you know, some people love the color pink or they hate the color pink, mm-hmm. but imagine if the color pink wanted to be a faded version of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that stuck with me because it was like, I can't change my color pink to yeah. make everyone happy. I just got to be the color pink. And actually by being polarizing, I'm, I'm creating something that that's really for someone and maybe not for someone else. And that's okay. Yes. Yes. So it's like when people now criticize, I'm like, compassion for you and whatever you're feeling in your life. And thank you. Cause then I'm not creating something for you, which, mm-hmm. you know, creates room for people who are aligned to come and find this. There are people who are going to love everything that you have to say, the, que- the questions that you're exploring, the things that are weighing on your heart, the national conversational style in which you're hosting these conversations. Um, it's going to be really for those people. And that's who you want it to be for. Yeah. And you just have to believe that everyone's story is worth being told. Totally. You know, my, my again, my business mentor, I'm blowing her up, Jada. So, um, <laughs> shout out, Jada. <laughs> shout out, bring her on. She'll be so great. She says, there are no unique messenger, or there are no unique messages. There are only unique messengers. Mm. Um, and that speaks more, you know, a lot of people come to me and they're like, my story's already been told, or this story's already been yes. told. 
trying to do it. And it's like, there are no unique messages. There are only unique messengers. And also our birthright as being human is story is worth sharing. Our story is seen we are worth being seen because saying like oh I don't know if my story should be told is like am I allowed to be seen Mm -hmm. you know am I worthy of being seen so I get curious about the worthiness or the belonging Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah I think what one similarity of ours is that we aren't afraid to dive into the hard dark shit in life yeah um And that is often the stuff that is very polarizing to people, right? Um, That is also some of the stuff that potentially creates the most shame response. Yeah. Um, Again, in people like us and in people who it sparks something and they're not ready to grapple with it, so forth and so on. But last time we spoke, you mentioned that you were doing some work unpacking um, what it meant to be a good girl. There's this cultural thing of being a good girl that has been ingrained in all of us that we are conditioned to like follow the course. Mm -hmm. But that is not life. And many times our stories are not about the good girl stuff. Mm. It's about the stuff that is dark and difficult or not even dark and difficult, but has been painted in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do we interrogate the good girl conditioning in a way that allows us to actually tell our true stories and not be so afraid of what will come back to us? In terms of the good girl conditioning, this really came online for me. It's always been present, mm-hmm. but I think it came like on fire when I, when I left my marriage, because it was like, you're a bad girl. You hurt people. I can't believe you did that. Um, and I was talking with my friend Vienna for and she's a mindful MFT on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel a lot of shame. I feel like really bad for, um, you know, for leaving my marriage. And she lasered right in and she was like, what is being bad serve? and she's like it's always serving something so what does this like good girl I'm bad I should be ashamed of myself what does that served and for me it served two things one I had made this big life decision that brought me into greater freedom liberation and authenticity Um, and I wasn't fully enjoying it because Mm -hmm. I was in a story that I was bad Mm-hmm. So one, it was in, and Gay Hendricks talks about this. He's a psychologist. He has this idea called the upper limit, which is mm-hmm. that we only have, like we have, let's say there's a, a, a thermometer of the amount of joy, success, and abundance we'll allow ourselves to experience in our lives. So let's say my thermostat's at like 90 degrees. As soon as I get to like 91 or 92 degrees, I will start to think self-sabotaging thoughts mm-hmm. to bring myself down to where I'm more comfortable. And part of what I think, you know, all of this work is meant to do. And and when I say this work, I mean like this school of thinking that many, many, many people sit within, right? Is to get out into the world stories that are more authentic, mm-hmm. stories that do center emotions that have been seen as bad um, and you know, repackage them because, or, or 
not even repackage, like bring them back to their original meaning, which is no emotion is bad just because yeah. an emotion is hard or it's an emotion that we haven't talked about as a society as much does not mean it is bad. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think what we're both trying to do is bring stories that have more truth, have mm-hmm. people's true kind of beings and purpose at the center um, and do it in a way that allows it to feel good. Right. That isn't like a struggle where it's not about the hustle, where it's not about people tearing you down or, or frankly, like us tearing ourselves down. Um, but really allowing this very authentic work, whatever that is to each individual person to feel amazing and joyful and to allow yourself to feel safe in that work as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Stories are medicine. And that's something I always like to remind myself and remind the people that I work with, because when we allow ourselves to be seen on the page, not only is that process healing revelatory for us first, Mm -hmm. because there's something so cathartic and brave and beautiful about putting the truth down. Like we say, we want to live authentically. We want to live these um, high integrity lives and writing for me is such a vehicle to, to cultivate that awareness and find what's true. Sometimes I don't, you know, I think I know what a moment in my life means, but then I reveal myself to myself through writing, Mm -hmm. telling my story. And so not only is the process of writing those true and honest stories, healing and revelatory for us, but it's often the medicine that other people need too. It's the, mm-hmm. um, it's the mirror through which they get to see themselves more clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So tell your story. Tell your damn story. And even and if you it. don't have a PhD or you haven't, you know, become a celebrity with your own reality TV show, that does not mean that your story is any less worthy or any more worthy than anybody else's. Yeah. And even like, you know, some of the people who I find that I've worked with that have the most trouble writing is the academic and the PhD because they've been so conditioned to write in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm like, how do we get the juiciest, rawest, truthiest version of your story yes. out? That is what is relatable. That is what connects. That is what has people feel less alone in their lives. And I feel like that's what, you know, we don't, we, we, of course we need, you know, academic writing serves a place. I love that, but Mm -hmm. you know, I have a truth teller's heart. And so I always want people to write their bravest, bravest stories because that's what really cuts through the noise and and reaches Mm -hmm. into the hearts of others. Yes, it is. Thank you so much. Just like you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for that. Um, And I, and I think this applies to beyond writing too, like in how we do our work and how we show up as leaders and how we show up as, you know, workers in the workplace, like bringing that level of openness and heart into that work is what is going to help evolve the systems we live into. Yeah. I mean, you even did it with that critical comment that you received. You repackaged it. You posted it on Instagram and you wrote an honest blurb about your experience. That's you modeling authenticity and you modeling bravery. 
thank you yeah thank you so much amber <laughs> this is fun it's always like the utmost pleasure same same all right Mwah. Mwah. bye I know I've said this before, but I want to say it again as we conclude this season that Corner Office Breakdowns has been such a labor of love. This entire season was recorded in the midst of working a crazy job, having a baby, uh, taking care of a toddler, and, you know, everything else that comes with life. And while it has given me so much fulfillment and so much joy, part of what is going to keep this going is your support. So please, please, please subscribe to the podcast, like the podcast, rate the podcast, send it to friends. If you've ever gotten any value out of any of these conversations, I ask that you just take a few minutes um, to share the value you have gotten back out into the world. It means so, so much. I've already been recording season two for quite some time now, and I can promise you there is a ton more good stuff coming in coming weeks when we are back. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at AmbikaGP, and also Corner Office Breakdowns is on Instagram too, and that's just at Corner Office Breakdowns for updates for when season two is going to launch and the inevitable random uh, shit that crosses my mind over the next few weeks. Uh, I look forward to seeing you there. Stay in touch and I will see you in season two.